Uh, my name is Pastor Ben. If you're used to seeing Pastor Nate, I'll be speaking today. Well, thank you. Don't clap yet. I haven't done anything good quite yet. Uh, if we get into the talk and you like something that I say, then you feel free to clap all you want. Um, Pastor Nate is visiting our campuses today, so I have the privilege of preaching here. We're going through this series about called The Truth about. Uh, last week, Pastor Nate talked about the truth about the Word of God, and we're going through this series because we live in a day and age where we have more information than anybody has ever had in the history of the world at the click of a button. There's parts of this that I love. I'm not up here today to tell you that I hate technology. Friends, I like it when there's a product I'm interested in and I can go on this thing called the internet and I can find that product and then I can research the product and then I can see what other people who have bought it think about it and then I can make a decision. And if I want it, I click this button and two hours later it's at my doorstep. It's a fun world we live in. Or if you're going to a new city and your inner foodie comes out, how many foodies do we have in the house? All right, and you know you're going to a restaurant or you want to go out to eat and you can go on the internet and you can go, good restaurants, buy me. You can check out Yelp or, or Urban Spoon or one of those apps on your phone and you can see how many stars it gets, how many dollar signs are attached to it, and then you can go there and enjoy a great meal. I love it. Before I get any further, I forgot to do something. Might not get to do this again. But I forgot, I want to give a shout out to our friends in Elk River and our friends in Maple Grove. You see, the problem with all of the information that we have at our fingertips is this. It hasn't made us any wiser. You see, you can have as much information as you can take in in a day, but there's no gift of wisdom that's associated with it. We know more about more things and more causes and more ideas and more stuff than we've ever known before, but we don't act any wiser. And the reality is that unless our feet are firmly planted on solid truth, every passing fad and every bit of information has the potential to blow us this way and that way and leave us more confused than when we started in the first place. Uh, I love it. This, the songwriter Bob Dylan, uh, Minnesota born, he says, people don't do what they believe in. They just do what's most convenient. And then they repent. <laughs> Last week, Pastor Nate, he shared about the timeless beauty of God's word and that we need to have our feet firmly planted in the word because the word of God isn't just an idea. It's something that's alive and that it's active and that it cuts to the heart of who we are and it, it reveals our heart. It sees into us and how if we stay rooted in the word that we can, it applies to our life every day and we'll have sure footing in this world. And we had a memory verse. How many of you have your bulletins today? Take it out. Last week we had this bulletin and it had a little tear off that's different than this week's. But last week we had a memory verse, and you know what that means, right? It's quiz time. We're going to see how good you did. But just in case you weren't here, or just in case you didn't memorize it, we'll put it on the screen for you. Let's read the scripture today, together. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every 
good work. Amen? This week we're going to delve into a, a touchy subject and we're going to talk about the truth of God the Father. It's so important for us to talk about our belief in God. Uh, one of my favorite Christian authors is A.W. Tozer. He wrote some very profound things and in one of his books he wrote this sentence. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You see, what we think and what we believe about God impacts how we live our everyday life. Today, as we look at the truth about God the Father, I want you to understand that the idea that God as Father is revolutionary in religions across the world today. You see, the, uh, when it comes to other world religions, some religions, you go back to the Greek mythology and they kind of lowered their gods so that they kind of had these human tendencies and they weren't so much, they were set apart, but, but they kind of had this view of God that mixed a lot of humanity in with it. Uh, the New Age version strips the notion of God from all personality and spins a view where the Judeo-Christian God is just another option on an endless list of preferences. Some religions have this difficult time with God as father because, again, there's too, too much humanity in it and they can't comprehend this idea of God as father that would have a son. You see, this is also revolutionary for us here in this room because when we talk about God as father, we cannot ignore our own family of origin and the way our fathers were in our lives. And sometimes we get hung up on it, but it's inevitable for us to project our concept of fatherhood onto God. And it's important for us to realize how limited that lens is. You see, your best view of fatherhood is only an incomplete glimpse of who God is as our father. Your worst view of fatherhood is a distortion of who God is as father. Some of us have been hurt by our earthly fathers, and so this subject is difficult for us. The fact that God is close and personal is hard for us because we've been hurt and maybe we even feel damaged by relationships that we've had in the past. But today I want to encourage you to be open. And I'm going to quote the words of a famous author, C.S. Lewis. In his book, The Four Loves, he had this to say about what we do sometimes when we've been hurt and try to protect our hearts. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, but avoid all entanglements. Lock it up and safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Because to love is to be vulnerable. And so I want to challenge you today, whatever you would walk into this room today with as an earthly model as a father, I want you to have your heart open to the idea of a heavenly father, 
a good father, a perfect father. You see, our earthly family is just simply a model and every one of them is flawed in some way. At their very best, they're just some type of representation of what our spiritual relationship with our heavenly father could be. In the perfect world, husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives would love and respect their husbands. Parents wouldn't drive their kids crazy and kids would obey their parents. But we all know that none of our families is perfect that way. It was just intended to be a model of God's love for us as a father. You see, the beauty of the message of God as our father today is this. Our hope is not in our earthly families. Our hope resides in the fact that we can be adopted into a better family. Our hope is in a perfect father who loves unconditionally. Our hope, and this hope transcends because we have a hope not in our current family, but in a spiritual, eternal family. You see, there's a concern in our world today of fatherlessness, but I have a deep-rooted concern of spiritual fatherlessness. Because when we walk around in our world today and we don't have a spiritual father, we go and we're pushed around by every wind, every fad, everything, and we go on searching for, for a father role in our life that can guide us and lead us in the proper way to live. You see, some of us in this room, we're in here today, and let's, let's be honest, some of us, we would acknowledge, no, God isn't yet my spiritual father. I'm living on my own. And sometimes we're in that place because we don't even feel like we deserve a heavenly father. We feel like we don't even deserve his love. And so we go around and we look to different things in life to lead us, to guide us. It reminds me of that little kid's book, you know, when you're a kid and you read that book, Are You My Mother?, and they go thing to thing. Wait, are you my mother? And no, 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 you're not my mother. Okay, are you my mother? You see, it's comical, but in a spiritual sense, it's what we do when we're fatherless. Spiritually, we go from thing to thing and we go, hey, are you my father? No, okay, that left me empty. That, that hurt me. Okay, over here, are you my father? And then this thing over here, it's going to break us and it's going to hurt us again. And we're going to come out more damaged before, than we were before. You see, the beauty of God is that he is our father. And I want to make a shift in your idea of thinking because we, we talk about this and just he is our father, but I want to shift it for you because when you go into the Hebrew and you go into the Old Testament and you look at the words they associated with God, you had two options. God was referred to as something that he had done God created, God did something. He was always attached to a verb. So God had either done something or he was doing something. And when it comes to being our father, it's not that we just say the truth about God, our father. It's the truth that God fathers us. He currently actively in this day, in this age, he is fathering his children. Friends, this is exciting. It's not that it's just an idea. It's not just a concept. It's a reality with which we live that God fathers fathers us. Today we're going to talk about how he fathers us and the benefits of what we get when he fathers us. So the first step is this. God has adopted us. God has adopted us. In Romans 8:15 we read the scripture. It says, "So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father." You see, God has made his fatherhood available to each person. God has adopted us. 
You see, before we are adopted into his family, we are slaves to all these other things in the world. But when we come into his family, we call him father. He adopts us. We're made free. This term here, Abba, Father, is pretty awesome. There's only a couple times it's used in Scripture. The first time it was used when Jesus was about to go to the cross and he cried out to his Father in heaven and he said, Abba, let your will be done, but if it's possible, take this burden from me. And this term, Abba, it has this deep, uh, warm affection to it. You see, throughout scriptures, we read about the God who's mighty. We read about the God who's perfect in holiness. We read about the God who is our righteousness. And then here in the New Testament, from the words of Christ, we read about Papa. This warmth, this affection, this father who cares. This father who desires to be close and have an intimate relationship with us. You see, when God adopts us, I want you to understand it changes everything. We are no longer aimless. We are no longer enslaved. We are no longer wanderers. And it's not by our own strength. It's by his spirit that empowers us to call him Abba, Father. But when we get adopted into his family, you want to know what happens? We get the rights as children of God. We get the privileges of being children of God because God fathers us. He gives us what we need most. You see, in this world today, if I were to ask you, what are the things that you need most in this life to survive? Psychologists would tell you it's simple. You need need to know and you need to be known. People that care about your physical body, they would tell you, you need food and you need shelter. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the privileges we have as children of God. And the first one is this. Each one of us has this innate desire within us to be known. We want people to know us, to understand us, to hear our story. It's incredible in Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. This is what it says about God and the way that he knows us. Listen to the intimacy of this language. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark womb. You saw me before I was born. You see, God has known you before you came into this world. God has known you when you were still in your mother's womb. God knows what he intended for you. He knows the plans he has had for you. He knows you and he has known you from the time that you were just little. But he also knows you today. Going on Psalms 139, the verses that preceded that, this part is awesome. It's a little bit uh, intimidating, but it's also awesome. Listen to how your father knows you. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You know you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything that I do. You know what I'm going to say before I say it, Lord. You see, sometimes we go through life and things aren't going our way. Sometimes things in life get really difficult and they get really hard and we wonder, God, do you see me? God, do you see what's going on around me? God, did you hear what they said about me? God, do you know what I'm feeling inside? 
The fact of the matter is, God knows. He sees us. He knows when you think about sitting down. He knows when you think about standing up. He knows when you're traveling on the road for business. He knows when you're at home with your family. Friends, God knows you. Sometimes that's a little bit freaky because that, God, that means God knows what you did when you were on the road. That means that God knows how you've been behaving in your home. That means that God knows those thoughts that you've been thinking, right? But he fathers us through it. And he knows how to father us because he knows us. The second part of this is really profound in that God wants us to know him as well. He wants us to know him intimately. You see, the knowledge of God and who he is is so, it's one of the central things about our Christian faith. When the Apostle Paul, under the influence, anointing of the Holy Spirit, would write to the early churches, he would almost always write something that said, my prayer is that you would know him. My prayer is that you would know more of him. Because when we know God, it changes and transforms who we are from the inside out. And the reality is this, that God wants us to know him. God doesn't want to be far off. He doesn't want to be distant. He wants to be up close and personal with us. He wants to have that really close conversation that if it were somebody else, you would smell their breath. He wants to be that close to us. In Hebrews chapter 1, we read that long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. You see, God wants us to know him so much that from the beginning of time, he's been sending messengers to, to mankind saying, I want you to know me. Listen to his words. I want you to know me. Prophet after prophet after prophet. Messenger after messenger after messenger. I want you to know me. I want to be near to you. I want to be close to you. I want to father you. And then he sent his son as just the living representation of himself so that we might finally know him. God wants us to know him intimately. In John 17, 3, Jesus, and towards the end of his time here on this earth, he said, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. God wants us to know him and he knows us. God gives us the foundation of what we need. The second thing I want to say is this. God, when God fathers us, he gives us identity, right? Because each of us has an identity. Each of us identifies with something. But that identity is transformed when we come to God the Father. When we come to Jesus, we are made new in him. I love it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. And after I read this scripture, I'm going to tell you why this is so profound to me. It says for, it's Apostle Paul writing to the church. He says, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Now, this is where I get a little bit excited, okay? This is exciting stuff because here you have the Apostle Paul. And if you know a little bit about his story, you know that before he was Apostle Paul, he had a different name. He had a different identity. He identified himself as Saul. And what Saul did is Saul hated people that followed Jesus. He despised people that proclaimed that Jesus was their Lord. 
And so he would see to it that they were punished. He would see to it that they were, they were beaten or stoned for their beliefs in Jesus. And he hunted Christians. And then God intervened in his life. As Saul was going about his business, God showed up. And God changed his identity. He said, no longer is this going to be your life. And everything was changed, and he became an apostle of the church because of the counter he had with Jesus. And everything about him changed. He identified himself later as an apostle. And what I love about it is this. It says that, for we speak as messengers approved by God. You see, one of the things that each of us would desire from an earthly father is something our heavenly father gives us. It's his approval. And the beauty of his approval is it's not based on the things that we've done in the past because each one of us in our past, man, we've been messed up. Friends, if you're here in church today and you wanna pretend like you've never been messed up in your life, you're just, you're not fooling anybody because the goodness of God and who he is and what he's done in us is only good because of who we used to be and who he's making us to be. I want to encourage you if you're in this room today and you don't have a relationship with God and you come in here and you say, wow, these people seem to have it together. Listen, it's only because we identify with our heavenly father. It's only because he's changed and transformed us from the inside out. You see, if he can take someone that, that beat Christians for their faith and make them into apostle of the church and call him accepted, he can do it in you. He can do it in you. God provides for us. He's our provider. Our heavenly father, he fathers us by providing for us. He provides shelter for us when life sends difficult times. Psalms chapter 91 verse 1 and 2 says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. Friends, there's something beautiful about the fact that we have a father who provides a safe place for us, a father who protects us, a father that extends himself over us and he covers us. We don't have what it takes to face life's trouble on our own, but it's okay because our God, he fathers us and he's got us covered. When we're going through difficult times and it seems like life is sending storm after storm after storm, it's okay because we can run into the shelter of our God and he'll cover us. Friends, it's a beautiful thing to have a heavenly father because he covers us. He shelters us. He protects us. You see, Psalm 1611 says this, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Isn't that beautiful? We have to look forward to as sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, the pleasure of living with him forever. The next thing I want to talk to you about is really simple. It's that God fathers us by giving us sustenance. He gives us what we need. You see, in our world today, I can tell you this one's going to hit home for me because uh, sometimes we get really caught up in really simple, trivial things like, I wonder what I'm going to wear tomorrow. Now, some of you in this room, you're the people that you go in the night before, you try on seven outfits, and you pick what you're going to wear the next day, right? And then some of you are the other type of person where you get up in the morning, and you're like, I wonder what I should wear today. And sometimes you get late because you, you 
you realize, oh, the thing I wanted to wear is wrinkly or it's not clean and there's some problem. But we can get really caught up in things like, what are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? And I love it because Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6. He says this. He says, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know what I like? There's the founder of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. He wears like the same silly hoodie every single day of his life. And some people have asked him about it. And he says this, I have bigger decisions to make in the day that I can't give my energy to deciding what I'm going to wear in the morning. As children of the Most High God, we can trust that our Father is going to take care of the trivial things in life because he's got bigger things for us to worry about. We have the kingdom of God to advance. We have the light of the gospel to shine into dark places. We have kingdom business to attend to. We can't be worried and caught up about all the trivial stuff in life. So God's saying, look, I'm going to take care of it. Be about my kingdom. Be about my business. You see, our Father equips us with what we need to be about his business and his kingdom. The last thing I'm going to talk about that God gives us is discipline. Everybody say it with me. Ooh, we're not going to talk about discipline, are we? (laughs) Sometimes there's this misperception about God that he's a big policeman in the sky waiting for us to mess up so he can just whack us, you know, Shame on you, naughty. I'm going to... And a lot of times we would tell someone who's outside the family, hey, that's not how our father is. But once we come to faith, sometimes we still carry that mentality that like, oh no, if I mess up one time, God's going to whack me, send me out of the family. That's not the way adoption works. When you've been adopted, you're part of the family. And when you mess up, your father corrects you, but he also disciplines you. And when we talk about discipline here, uh, there's this awesome verse in Galatians uh, or sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. It says, as you endure, endure divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who, whoever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you are illegitimate and you are not really his children at all. God, please discipline me. Here's the deal, though. There's a different idea of discipline my freshman year of high school, I played on the basketball team and our coach, the first few weeks of practice, he had us do these things called killers where you had to sprint from the baseline to the free throw line, back to the baseline, to half court, back, other free throw line, back, other baseline and back. And I hated it. And he had this certain time that we had to complete this task within. And how many of you know, there's always that one guy on your team. There's that one guy, supposedly he said he had flat feet, I don't know, but he couldn't finish it in the time we needed to finish it. All the rest of us could, he couldn't. I want to tell you that the really good Christian thing would have been to encourage him, but I wanted him to quit. (laughs) What I realized is that our coach was disciplining our bodies so that we could play the game to the highest capacity. You see, discipline physically, having your body physically fit and disciplined allows you to play at a high level. It doesn't matter how skilled you are at basketball. If your body isn't disciplined, you are going to be ineffective at the game. Hold on now. It doesn't matter how talented you are 
And it doesn't matter how many giftings you have, if you don't allow God to discipline you, you will not be as effective as he would want you to be in the spiritual life. It doesn't matter how well you can preach, how well you can sing, how well you can evangelize. It doesn't matter how many gifts you have. If you don't allow God to discipline you, to prepare you, to refine you, you're not going to be as effective as you could be. And so we embrace God's discipline saying, God, refine me. God, discipline me. Train me, Lord. Help me be all that I can be in you. The last thing that we have with a God who fathers us as being part of the family is we have an inheritance. You see, God, our Father, has left us a great inheritance. When Jesus came to the earth and he rose from the dead, it was a foretaste. It was the first fruit. It was the trailer for the movie. Because God in each one of us is saying, hey, your inheritance is eternal life with me. Your inheritance is new life with me. But there's one thing today that we have to talk about briefly, and it's that there's a cost associated with adoption. If you were to adopt a child in, in America today, there would be the conversation you'd have to have with your family. Hey, uh, kids, we're going to have to talk about this because we're going to have to adjust to, to this and prepare ourselves for it. And then there's actually just a simple dollar cost associated with it. You see, we talked a little bit about other religions before. In the Greek mythology, if you were really good, you could climb the mountain and maybe find pleasure with the gods for a moment. Other religions tell you that you have to empty yourself of every thought, desire, wish, and that maybe you could achieve some sense of nirvana. Others might tell you that you have to live perfectly, do everything as good as you can, and you might be one of the one who gets elected. But God paid a great price to adopt us. You see, God did all the work for us. He didn't make us go up to him because let's be honest, we can't do it. We're not good enough to do it. We're so far from his holiness, we can't even be in the same room. But God came near to us. You see, I love the song. Uh, it's a modern day hymn called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And it says this, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. You see, God paid a great price for us to be adopted. He gave his son. He wanted you and his family so bad that he gave his son. He said, son, will you go down there and will you make a way for him to come to me? Son, will you go down there? I love him so much. Would you go down there and make a way for them to come to me? You see, when we read in Romans about being adopted and God's spirit enabling us to call out Abba, Father. It's this. It's us coming to terms and understanding how much he loves us. I wish today that I could walk down every aisle of this church, put my hand on every one of your shoulders and just tell you, 
our God loves you so much. My God, he loves you so much. Our Father loves you. You see, in this room, in this moment, we feel that pulling, we feel that prodding on our hearts. We feel the weight of our sin, the weight of our rebellion on one hand, and yet we feel something inside of us. It's the Spirit of God calling out to us. Not anything we could do on our own, but it's the Spirit compelling us, saying, won't you come home? Won't you chat with your Father today? I want you to stand in this room and across all of our campuses. I want you to understand the heart of the Father today. Romans 8.31 says, Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Our Father in heaven has good in store 